We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We're part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. As always, I'm here with Jason Pat and Jason. The NBA Finals are set. We have the Golden State Warriors making the finals for the sixth time in the last eight years, facing the Boston Celtics, who finally broke through to the NBA Finals after four trips to the Conference Finals recently. I honestly think it's the two best teams in the league still standing. Uh, Boston survived a ferocious comeback attempt in the final two or three minutes from Miami in game seven. Jimmy Butler had the game in his hands after grabbing a late rebound. Miami down two. Jimmy charges towards the three-point arc, fires the three with Al Horford backpedaling. He misses it off the front rim. Heat lose. Celtics going to the finals. As Jimmy guys, Jason, I was I was devastated that Jimmy <laughs> missed that shot. In the moment when he took it, I didn't like the shot because deep within me, I just didn't think it was going in. But the more you think about it, the more you realize Jimmy has every right to take that shot. You have a chance to win the game in the final minute when Jimmy played every single second of that game. And who knows how much juice he would have had left in his legs. He was playing on a bum knee for the second half of the series. Absolutely heroic performance in game six and game seven for Jimmy. I think after thinking about it a little bit more, there's no doubt that Jimmy should have taken that shot. He just missed it. You live with that. So Celtics go into the finals. They are facing the Warriors. Should be a great series. And from the Bulls perspective, Jason, I think, you know, you got to look at this Boston team with the Tatum, Brown, and Smart core, which has been in place for several years now, augmented with Robert Williams and Grant Williams. Who knows how much juice Al Horford has left in the tank? Certainly, he's been absolutely masterful at age 35 this season in this playoff run. But I think, you know, the Celtics are a team the Bulls are going to have to go through. I think the Bucs are a team the Bulls are going to have to go through. 
in the Eastern Conference. And I think you got to look at the Heat because the Heat consistently make deep playoff runs. Uh, you know, we'll see how well the Heat can maintain this level of success as Butler continues to age. But I think at least for this series, Jimmy Butler proved without a doubt that he's fully capable of being the best player on a championship team if everything else goes right. Everything else did not go right for the Heat in this series. But my God, was it awesome to see Jimmy just go full on takeover mode, especially in game six and game seven. And, you know, really have an opportunity to hit what would have been an iconic shot in NBA history. It just didn't go in. Yeah, uh, that was obviously that was just a weird series. Uh, I thought the Celtics were going to beat their ass. And like when you put everything together, like what happened in that series? I know the Celtics had some injury issues uh, of their own, but like the Heat, uh, Kyle Lowry was either basically hurt or dead, uh, basically useless almost the entire series outside of like maybe game six. Tyler Hero missed with the last three or four games. He played seven minutes in game seven and scored zero points. He was useless and he was bad even before that, before he missed time. Bam had like one great, or I guess he, Bam had a decent game seven as well. I think Bam was like hit hit or miss. He had the one huge game and then like was kind of whatever the rest of the series. Uh, The Heat have like no, their three-point shooting sucked. They have like no other shot creators. And yet they were one, yeah, one Jimmy miss from reaching the NBA finals (laughs) against a team, against a Celtics team I've been hyping up for a while now. And that has been really arguably the best team in the league for three, four months now. So, I mean, a miracle that it got to that point. A lot of that is goes to Jimmy. I mean, the game six, 47 fucking points, like absolutely absurd. Uh, I know Jimmy had a little rough stretch. I mean, he was hurt too. I mean, game he got hurt in what, game three? And then came back in game four and five when it was bad. It was clearly hurting. It was not good enough. Uh, did not play well, laid eggs. Like I said, you can blame the injuries. You can blame whatever. Uh, and then he comes back and does the, what he did in game six and game seven with 47 in game six, 35 in game seven. Uh, it's a shame he didn't end up with 38. Like you said, yeah, in the moment you watch that kind of thing, it's like, there's what? Like, I think he took that with like 11 seconds left, maybe a little even more than that, that three. But it's like that team, the Heat, have, they're running on fumes. Like you said, they're making a huge comeback. Could you argue that should he have tried to drive into Al Horford and like finish Fernand one, finish strong? Sure, absolutely. But, uh, I mean, again, that's Al Horford, one of the best defenders in the league. Jimmy's played 48 minutes. How much juice does he have to go up and finish over Horford? Even if he does make it and if there's no foul, they then still have to get a stop to get to overtime. And as you mentioned, how much more gas does he have for overtime? We, I feel like we talk about we in sports, especially when we talk about guys like Killer Instinct and like going and like wanting to be like heroes and like narrative stuff. I feel like people should love that shot that he took. Like he wanted to be the hero. Possible game-winning three-pointer, three-game-winning dagger. It was a great look. I mean, he was Horford, like kind of contested it, but like you're not going to get that much better of a look. I know Jimmy's not much of a three-point shooter, but he has been better. He was better in the playoffs. It's like, why not, man? Be the hero, go for the win. He makes that shot, and you get a stop. You're going to the NBA Finals. Why not? Uh, it is a bummer, but yeah, I mean, he was awesome. Uh, those few clunkers aside, all playoffs. I think he averaged like 27 or 28 a game. He had like four 40-point games. Uh, Jimmy's just a guy who in general, uh, last year aside has just consistently been stepping it up in the playoffs. Once again, proving, uh, the bulls should never have traded him, but we don't want to get into that. We're past that at this point, but Jimmy is still awesome. It was great to see him play. Well, it was a bummer to see him miss that last shot, but obviously not going to blame him too much. He basically almost single-handedly those last couple games had them on the verge of winning that series. But 
I thought all along Boston was was the better team, and the fact that they almost blew that series was incredible, and that has me like second guessing. I think Boston is going to beat Golden State, but I'm second guessing that as well because like the the way they get the like, they they just oscillate from like so dominant to they're fumbling the ball all over the place and like just can't and those turnovers killed them against Miami. When Miami had so much success is when they were able to turn them over and get them and going the other way. And then obviously Jimmy going God mode. So will the Warriors be able to turn the Celtics over like that? The Warriors obviously have Steph. They've had a lot of rest. Uh, Clay's looking pretty good. Uh, they, they're getting healthy. It seems, it seems like Gary Payton, Andre Godala, uh, uh, out of Porter jr. Former bull, <laughs> Uh, the Kirkland Champagne Man w- could be back for this finals. So, like, I've still I've been just riding on Boston this entire time. I'm still leaning towards them, but obviously, would I be surprised if the Warriors won? No, I do wonder how the Warriors, their motion offense, how they will handle Boston's defense. They're switching. They have great defenders all over the court. Uh, sometimes, you know, the Warriors can get stubborn with their motion. Teams gum it up, uh, and then they break out like Steph pick and roll and or isolation they start they start rolling more well, well how stubborn will they be with that will they be able to force boston into turnovers i think it should be a great series hopefully after all these blowouts that we've seen in so many of these playoff games that we get some close games here and get an epic finals so ultimately uh we'll bring this back to the bulls here in a second but uh i would lean towards boston but i mean I hope Golden State wins. I do not want Boston to win because fuck Boston, fuck the Celtics. Uh, and I love Steph. Steph's one of my favorite players in the NBA. So I'd love to see him finally get that finals MVP that he was robbed of in 2015. Uh, and yeah. And your, what are your thoughts on this, this finals? Yeah, I guess just to put one more pin in the Jimmy conversation. Yeah. So much has been debated about Jimmy taking that last shot that I really hope it doesn't overshadow the fact that in these playoffs so far, Jimmy Butler's been the best player in the playoffs. I have the basketball re- reference page pulled up. Jimmy leads the NBA playoffs in every statistical category or every advanced all-in-one statistic, I should say, the same way that Jokic did during the regular season on his way to winning regular season MVP for the second time in a row. Jimmy led the playoffs so far in BPM, in VORP, in win shares, in, def- in you know defensive BPM. He's third in offensive BPM. He's first. Jimmy, just a spectacular, absolutely spectacular performance in this postseason. 30% usage rate, 60% true shooting. And it's so funny that Jimmy's three-point shot has basically abandoned him since he went to Miami. During the regular season this year, he made 27 threes on the season at a 23% clip. In the postseason, he made 23 threes and shot 34% on his threes. So while that wasn't, you know, you really don't want a shaky shooter like Jimmy taking that shot at the end of the game under normal circumstances. But Jimmy was making that shot often enough in the postseason that uh, I think you got to live with it. I don't want to dwell on the shot too much, but the point is if there was a playoffs MVP award, Jimmy Butler right now would be the leading candidate. And maybe Jason Tatum will have such a brilliant finals that he'll steal that title away from Jimmy, or maybe Steph Curry will do the same thing. But right now, as we enter the finals, Jimmy Butler was the best player in the NBA playoffs. That is absolutely freaking remarkable, Jason. I'm censoring myself here. <laughs> when you think about all the conversation around Jimmy, 
dating back to his career on the Bulls. In his second season, which was the first season he played real minutes for the Bulls after getting mothballed by Tom Thibodeau in his rookie year. In his second season, Jace, you tweeted about this. I was thinking about it too. He played 48 straight minutes in the playoffs, like five times. They played (laughs) 46 minutes out of 48 in another game. Uh, Everyone looked at Jimmy and said, there's no way he's going to age well. With all the wear and tear Thibodeau put on his body from early in his career, the Bulls traded him mostly because they did not think he would be able to live up to a max contract. So they moved him two years early because they didn't want to pay him. They wanted to get something in return for him instead of building the franchise around him. Obviously, that decision was remarkably wrong. Gar Foreman and John Paxson deserve to be fired for having a total inability to evaluate their own talent when they had a legitimate superstar, a legitimate foundational piece on the roster. And they threw their hands up and they said, we are not smart enough to build around him. We don't think he's that good and we're going to get rid of him. Well, guess what? Jimmy Butler is that good. He proved it on this playoff run. And what a remarkable player Jimmy Butler is, Jason. At this point, like, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. Let's let's put it. Let's start there. Jimmy Butler, I think. Is I, and I've thought about this. Hall of Fame. I don't know. I, 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 I'm a Jimmy guy. Uh, maybe I don't know. I'd have to look at like com- compare him to like other people in the Hall of Fame. Like, I don't think of Jimmy. Point, I don't think of him as a Hall of Fame. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say, like, you know, consistent greatness in the postseason. Yeah, he had, you know, that tough stretch games, you know, four and five when he was clearly injured on the knee. But, I mean, we saw it in the bubble. We saw it here. Just 40-point games in the playoffs reliably. People always overlook defense in these discussions. Like, if you were going to say who's had a better career, Carmelo Anthony or Jimmy Butler, Carmelo Anthony is, of course, a shoe in to make the Hall of Fame. Perhaps you point to his international career, winning, I believe, four gold medals yeah. with Team USA as well. And, of course, it's the Basketball Hall of Fame, not the NBA Hall of Fame. Correct. So you can even include Carmelo's national championship at Syracuse as a freshman. But as an NBA player, I think I'm going Jimmy. Despite the fact that Carmelo has the higher offensive ceiling, Jimmy's so much better defensively. Jimmy, much more of a free throw generator, a guy who, you know, you can put the ball in his hands and he can be the offensive engine. And my our buddy Kevin Farrigan, who runs the Dennis Podman podcast, said, you know, he texted me, is Jimmy a top 15 small forward of all time? I think these are the type of discussions you have to have with Jimmy right now. And I don't know if he'll get the credit that he deserves because he's kind of an abrasive asshole because he doesn't have a championship and he's probably right. unlikely to get one. I think Jimmy hurts. Almost, next I, time, this is my last point here. Go the ahead, next yeah. time the NBA releases one of these lists, like the top 75 greatest players in NBA history right now, Damian Lillard is on that list. Why is Damian Lillard above Jimmy Butler in the NBA all-time list? Cause he hit two buzzer beaters in the first round of the playoffs or the second round of the playoffs. I don't care, dude, Jimmy Butler is a guy I'm rolling with over someone like Dave. Rolling with Jimmy. Next time the NBA releases one of these lists, the top 100 players on the 100th anniversary of the NBA, Jimmy deserves inclusion. Yeah, I think the problem, I think Jimmy's almost, especially in the regular season, just like too selfish for his own good, or too unselfish, sorry, not selfish. This is numbers just like, aren't they don't like blow you away. He's always averaged like 20, 21 points a game. When I think it's obvious that if he really wanted to, he could average probably 25 to 27 a game. He just doesn't, which is probably smart. He does you save the wear and tear because his style of play is very physically demanding and he does deal with injuries a lot. He always misses time with just little uh with little stuff uh, and it happened again this year. And obviously we saw him deal with anything in the playoffs, but like 
So I think he like takes it easy in the regular season a lot. And that's why his numbers are kind of depressed. And I think that does hurt him in these conversations when you, when you just look at his career numbers, it's like, oh, I mean, they're good, but like, they're not that good. But obviously though, when you look at like the impact stats, I'd have to look deeper than them again. Like he does, that obviously helps. And then obviously this playoff stuff, uh, it's if he, it, I think he obviously like if he would have gone to the finals and even won it this year, I think that probably shoes him in maybe for the Hall of Fame. That's an interesting discussion and probably like a whole different discussion there. I think he's, what? you could say he's at least what? maybe in the conversation. I I don't know if I could say he's a shoe in Hall of Famer just because I think he does. What is he like a five six time All Star? He's been like All NBA third team I think three or four times. Uh, like I said, no no championship, been to one finals, so like. But great impact stats, great two-way player, and obviously has had some iconic playoff performances. So it's like, yeah, I think like that is one where I think you can have a conversation and he's like on the fringe of it, but not a shoe-in. We'll see what he does. I mean, the Heat should be good in the coming years. We'll see how long he does hold up. I mean, if he has another few more deep playoff runs like this, I think that obviously certainly helps his case even more. Uh, but I guess back to back to I was gonna say you brought up the stuff I think I tweeted about his second season that got me looking back into just like some of the stuff from Jimmy early in his career and how the Bulls just completely they basically screwed up Jimmy Butler's thing from the beginning uh, when they lowballed him in negotiations. Uh, I think they offered him something like four years, like forty or forty-four million. Okay, I found a tweet from Casey Johnson that said Jimmy would have taken four years, fifty million. Who knows if that's actually true. But like, it seems like the Bulls, if they would have just given him a little more, would have paid him. Going into that extension eligible season, he did have like a, foot, a toe injury that affected his shooting. But like, they saw how much he, how important he was. That's in that second season, and when he was healthy, he was a really good player and a player that clearly would have been useful for a long time. So they lowball him. He bets on himself, and then he autom- and then he goes and becomes the most improved player and gets a max contract. And then a few years later, after the best season of his career, they trade him. So just like completely fucked it up in the beginning. Bulls didn't deserve him. At least they got Zach Levine back in that trade. But that's all I got on Jimmy. What's What's so funny? What's so funny about the front office, Paxton and Foreman trading him is like, he's legitimately one of the best draft picks of the decade. Easily. Easily. It's like him and Draymond are probably the two best. They could hold him up and be like, we drafted this guy. We grew, we, he was a homegrown product into one of the 10 best players, but then they were so bad. They just like built shitty teams and then didn't even bother trying to build around their homegrown product. Like they were just like, Oh no, no, they were good. Uh, He's kind of a dick. So we're just going to trade him and we don't want to pay him. And like, that was, and that was that in a negotiation, which is the first thing Reinsdorf hates when, uh, you know, on his, rookie contract extension he turned the bulls down he famously bet on himself i believe this was in 2015 ended up getting a max contract at that point the max contract was like 95 yeah, million dollars. Yeah. this is before the big squat spike but that was like a huge money contract for jimmy butler at the time earned every penny of that outplayed it pretty much immediately when he finally did get the max contract he's been worth max money every single time i'll say right now he certainly certainly has a more deserving hall of fame case than derrick rose And whatever, for all this discussion about like empty calorie players, we've heard it around Zach Levine. We've heard about around Devin Booker, Damian Lillard, maybe lots of players. Jimmy's like the opposite of that. I don't know what the opposite of an empty calorie guy is, but Jimmy gives you hardiness on both ends of the court on every possession. And it was just so much fun to watch him go absolutely bananas in the postseason. So Jimmy's the man. Uh, should, mean, we, should we talk about what's the, the first just your final your final point here uh, about the Jimmy empty that empty calories thing? 
Yeah, I mean, okay, so the Bulls traded him to Minnesota, a team that hadn't been in the playoffs since, what, God knows when. They made the playoffs. Obviously, they lost in five games. Jimmy made a fucking scene and got traded, but still, he goes to Minnesota, and they go to the playoffs immediately. He gets traded to Philadelphia the next year. They come one the crazy Kawhi Leonard shot away from possibly going to the Eastern Conference Finals. He goes to Miami. They go to the NBA Finals. They obviously struggled. They lost. They got smoked by the Bucks last year. But then again, now they come one shot away from the NBA Finals again. So, I mean, this is Jimmy Butler consistently making deep, making huge impact on teams. Jimmy Butler was right. We talked, <laughs> I feel like this thing, we, as big of a dick as he is, and like he's kind of be abrasive and it's not for everybody. Like he's won basically everywhere he's been, maybe not a championship, but consistently winning games. Uh, so, yeah, Jimmy Butler has been right about a lot of stuff. Before we t- go back to the finals, actually, I know I mentioned we, I brought some stuff. I want to actually want to talk. We can kind of use this as a nice bridge here to something just kind of feel about Zach Levine since he was in the Jimmy Butler trade real quick. Uh, just kind of a funny little report here uh, um, from this is a, from the cat man. Uh, apparently he said this on ESPN 1000. I just saw a tweet about this earlier today that I laughed at. And um, this this the this is paraphrasing from whatever Daniel Greenberg who always does these aggregations of stuff, but it says, according to Catman, there are some in the Chicago Bulls organization that want to give Zach Levine a max deal, and there are others that feel like he doesn't have the dog mentality it takes to win big. And like just seeing that, and I feel like it's perfect that we're talking about Jimmy uh, with this. It's like the same fucking bullshit. Like, are they re- like I, I want to know who is leaking this to the Catman? Like, obviously, this isn't helping anybody here where if the Bulls are actually being wishy-washy about paying Zach, who, who is who is leaking this shit? Who believe who like who is a, who in the Bulls believes this? And the thing about like the dog to win, which is a very bizarre thing to like leak when Zach just played th- injured for the last half of the season. Like, yeah, obviously, Zach's like not a, a dog like Jimmy is like Jimmy. We know as two way star. Uh, stud on both ends and a legit dog defensively the bulls could use more guys like that but it's like who is feeding this shit to fucking cat man uh about zach slandering zach like this is super annoying stuff to read i laughed at it because it just seems ridiculous but like someone's telling him I don't, like i don't know how much cap actually knows but like he's been around the scene for a while i'm sure he knows some people it's like who that who is bringing this stuff up like i don't are we like really gonna go through this again now where the bulls hem and haw about paying their max guy, and then he he leaves. Like, what did, what did you make make of this uh, this report from David Kaplan? My first thought is: Is John Paxson only still on the payroll and only still with the organization, so he can be the guy who, in contract negotiations, comes up to Jerry Reinsdorf and goes, "Eh, I don't know if he really deserves two hundred ten million dollars." <laughs> He's just like the guy in Jerry's corner every single time, telling him not to pay young athletes who deserve their money. <laughs> Uh, that's the first thing I thought of upon hearing this is why wouldn't Catman have a relationship with John Paxson? They've both been around for 25 years. I just saw Paxson at the combine watching, uh, you know, the scrimmages with the rest of the front office. So he's still around the team. He's still doing something because he was there at the combine. So that's my first thought. This is probably garbage from Paxson. Of course, what it comes down to is ownership. And I have no doubt that Arturis Karnaschovas wants to retain Zach Levine and does not care how much money Zach Levine gets. Yeah. I, it's, you know, he, I'm sure, wants Zach around and will have no problem giving him a max contract. 
That's just me speculating. I believe that to be true. It's about ownership, though. And part of Arturis's job is to advocate for himself and advocate for his vision. It's perhaps the most important part of his job, seeing the way Jerry Reinsdorf has managed both the White Sox and the Bulls over the last 10 years. And God, don't get me started on this White Sox season and the <laughs> offseason that sort of led to them having uh, just a disastrous year. But in terms of Zach, you got to pay him. There's no debate over whether or not they should pay him. Jerry, cut the check. Don't listen to Paxson. If Paxson's the devil <laughs> on your shoulder saying, ah, maybe you can save a little bit more money. It doesn't matter. There's there's no alternative to this. You got to pay Zach. So th- that's as much credence and as much thought as I'm going to give this report from our boy, Daniel Greenberg, who's always aggregating. And, you know, I kind of appreciate Daniel Greenberg. I know everyone hates him, but like, I wouldn't have heard this interview anywhere else. He's always got his ear to the streets, to the radio. He's always finding stuff that he knows people will talk about. So I'm not going to hate on the kid as much as everyone else is. But with that being said, I still give this report zero credence. <laughs> and I blame John Paxson as always. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's annoying. But anyways, I just wanted to talk about that real quick. So if, it fit perfectly with this, with this Jimmy discussion. When you talk about needing to like win negotiations and obviously the Bulls front office frug- or ownership frugality over the years. This plays right into it. Hopefully it does not go down the same route as the Jimmy route and that Zach is back. And we've obviously talked enough about that on recent podcasts. We don't need to talk about it anymore. Let's get back to the finals. Ricky, thoughts on the finals. Yeah. So my initial reaction was that the Warriors just feel destined to win this series. I mean, the fact that Draymond, Clay, and Steph got back to the finals without Durant is pretty remarkable. It is. Yeah. They do it when they have three lottery picks searching for a young star. I was of the opinion that the Warriors should have been trading those guys to try to get one more veteran-level star to help Steph win a championship. The Warriors didn't want to do it. They thought they were going to be building on multiple timelines. Well, none of those lottery picks has hit for them. James Wiseman at number two overall hasn't played a game the entire season as he recovers from a knee injury. I'm not writing off James Wiseman completely yet. I'm definitely rooting for him. I've interviewed him a couple couple times. I think that, you know, he's someone who hopefully has the physicality and the mindset to like be a solid NBA player if he can get healthy, but obviously drafting him over LaMelo was just a horrible piece of business. If they would have, t- if the Warriors would have drafted LaMelo and Franz Wagner, uh, you know, they could be set for a dynasty that could go on basically in perpetuity. But with that being said, the Warriors hit on a few late picks. First, Kavan Looney in 2015, after they won their first title. He's been there forever. Kavan <laughs> Looney out of UCLA. I remember seeing him up close at the Champions Classic, or maybe it was the CBS Sports event, actually. CBS Sports event in Chicago at the United Center is a freshman on UCLA. Thought he's got really wide shoulders. He can rebound. I can't really jump. Can't really do too much. Of course, he's had injuries uh, since he's entered the league too. But Looney has been phenomenal for them, especially in the Dallas series. You could make an argument that he was the single most valuable player in the Western Conference Finals for the team. And then you got Jordan Poole, number 28 overall in the 2019 draft, I believe, taking the same year as Kobe. Very similar player to what I think maybe the Bulls thought Kobe would be. Great speed great outside shooting, but Poole has just been unbelievable in that Warriors system. Just feels like a hand-in-glove fit with the offense Steve Kerr wants to run. And then he's able to break the system sometimes just with his unbelievable creation ability off the dribble and just this extreme quickness and burst he has going to the basket. So 
you know, the Warriors, even while making some some relatively big mistakes in the draft, I think, uh, they still found two really valuable young players at the end of the draft. And we'll see on we'll see on Kaminga and Moody. Obviously, they're yeah, really I mean, young. I think Moody's gonna be really good. I had Moody as sixth overall in that draft class. And I got to say, Kaminga, I was kind of a hater coming into it, but Kaminga really impressed me as a rookie this year. He was way better than I thought he would be. I think that both those guys are at minimum gonna be rotation guys. Moody, I think, will probably eventually be a starter. Maybe Kaminga will be too. Kaminga looked pretty awesome this year. Anyways. They nail the D'Angelo Russell for Wiggins trade. I mean, what a Props great to Wiggins. that was. Yeah. And then shout out to Wiggins, who was an inefficient, overpaid scorer with a hot and cold motor, couldn't live up to his draft status, couldn't live up to his contract. Well, here he is now as a star in his role. A go-to wing stopper who just went toe-to-toe with Luka Doncic, shut him down as much as anyone could shut down Luka. Shut, shut down is the wrong word, but he limited Luka as much right, as yeah. anyone. In the same attributes that once made Wiggins the number one overall pick, the length, the speed, the quickness, the ridiculous explosiveness, those are the attributes that he's now leveraging defensively. And you compare him to someone like Michael Bridges, who everyone views as like sort of the, the number one wing stopper in the NBA, let's say. I think that that's about where most people view Bridges, or at least the number one young wing stopper. Well, I mean, Wiggins just has this like extreme athleticism that like no other player can match up with. And for as talented as Bridges is, it's like, well, he doesn't have the physical gifts Wiggins does. So I guess what I'm going to say is that the Warriors just feel destined to win this championship. And they have home court. They have home court. Now, of course, the Celtics won three games in Miami right. in the Eastern Conference Finals. They're like seven and two on the road, I think, in the playoffs. It should be a great series. Like, I more. The more research I've done into this, though, Jace, the more I believe the Celtics are perfectly suited to win this championship and probably should win this series against the Warriors. The reason I'm still going to go with Golden State is I just trust them more. And, you know, both of these teams sort of have a reputation for bad turnovers. Who has more bad turnovers between the two (laughs) of them? A a majorly deciding factor. And... I just trust the Warriors more much time. The Celtics famously blew everyone out over the last four months, didn't play many crunch time minutes at all. The Celtics looked horrible in crunch time against the Heat in Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals. Maybe I'm putting a little too much stock into that, but at the end of games, I just don't really trust the Celtics' offense. Now, granted, their offensive process at the end of Game 7 was generally pretty good. Tatum was making the right reads. While Miami was basically selling out, throwing two at him every and time. And Marcus he Smart just missed everything. Marcus Smart was missing some threes. Uh, there was one pretty bad Jalen Brown layup attempt in the final minute, too, when they should have just been running some clock. But I just think that the championship experience, you know, we point to it for a reason, right? Yeah. Like Michael Jordan couldn't get past the Pistons in 89 and 90. And this is just something that happens in the NBA. The Celtics are at a big stage. They have plenty of experience deep in the playoffs with Tatum and Brown, I think, playing three or four conference finals already. But I just trust the Celtics, or I just trust the Warriors more. And I don't know. I I can go into it more, but I really think the Celtics are, like, the perfect team to break apart this Warriors offense. Just with their, like, length and physicality on the perimeter to, like, bust open those off-ball actions. I think that the way the Celtics play offense is that they're just going to say, hey, Jordan Poole, come over here. Hey, yeah. Steph Curry, come over here. And they're just going to target those guys with Tatum and Brown. 
the Warriors did a great job in the Western Conference Finals, sort of peeling Curry out of those actions where he would basically just like hedge for a little bit uh, and then recover, peel back to his original man. So I think the Warriors just like know how to sort of handle this thing. My, my big question is Poole. Is Poole going to be able to stay on the floor? Is Poole going to like take over a game or two with his just like system breaking scoring? Like you can have a great scheme, great length, great physicality. But Poole's just one of those guys who can bust it open if he's really in his bag. And, yeah, it's going to be a great series, man. I'm still sticking with the Warriors, and I think it's probably going to be a seven-game series. But i got to say, I am not betting any of my hard-earned money on this series. Neither am I. (laughs) I truly believe the Celtics can win it. Yeah, like I said, I'm leaning Celtics. I don't feel as good about it after watching them almost blow that series because I really thought they were going to smack the Heat. Uh, I do wonder, I'm curious about the Warriors with their lineups. Like when they're playing Draymond and Looney together, how like I'm curious to see how they start the series with their starting lineup. And if like with Draymond and Looney together, I'm curious how that lineup is going to score. Obviously, you have Steph Clay uh, and Wiggins there, but still like with the Celtics, they will be ignoring the hell out of Looney and Draymond. So, like I said, it'll, it'll, it should be a chess match. We'll see because there will have to be adjustments being made with, with the lineups, uh, with this, with how the Warriors are running their offense, and obviously the Celtics will have to do the same. Uh, so, yeah, like I, I, that's why I kind of do lean towards Boston. Like you mentioned about how they're kind of built like for a team that can kind of give the Warriors some problems in that motion offense and all that kind of stuff. And the Celtics – and I saw that, like, I feel like all the – I know. I think I believe the Warriors are favored in Vegas, but like a lot of these, like uh, the whatever the models, like projections. I saw one today that have the Celtics at like eighty-five or eighty-six percent. Part of it's just because the Celtics have like no, not really anybody you can like play off the court. They just like all their guys, and like we we talked about the Bulls having like one two-way player in Lonzo Ball. Like basically, I think you could look at everyone on the Celtics and be like, yeah, like that guy's probably a- at least average to above average on both ends, like. Besides, like what Peyton Pritchard, you can target him defensively. Grant Williams, like Grant Williams' offense, like obviously if he's not hitting threes, it's not that great. But like he's a great defender, and he can shoot threes at a high level. And then like their entire starting lineup is like all plus guys offensively. Obviously, Smart can be a disaster sometimes, but like still, really he helps organize their offense. So like you look, Tatum, Brown, Smart, Al, Robert Williams, like just all plus defenders. And then most of them are all good offensive players as well in their role. Pritchard can shoot even though he can't defend. Derek White has his is inconsistent offensively, but his defense is top notch. Like just their entire top level of a rotation. It's basically two way guys besides Pritchard, uh, and that's just obviously just super helpful and is a big reason why they're so good. The Warriors, are, if they're healthier, are definitely deeper, but they do have some of these guys who are weak, definitely weaker on both ends. Like, Poole's defense is a problem. Looney and Draymond, because they can't really shoot their offense, you worry about them. So, like, looking for the Celtics to exploit that, and that's why I still do kind of lead towards them. But, yeah, I mean, the Warriors, have the, they have Steph, the championship experience. They're deep, getting healthier, home court, which is why this should be a fascinating series. I'm really, really looking forward to it. I think that uh, Steph is going to need to go bananas for the Warriors to win this series. And I think he's up for it. I think that like this. He's been kind of underrated in these playoffs. I think if you look at his numbers, they're like really damn good. I feel like he just doesn't have, he hasn't had, I feel like 
like a four. I don't think he's had a 40 point game in these playoffs. He just, but he's just been consistently really good. And this was coming off an injury too. Like he came back, came off the bench against the nuggets coming off that foot injury. And, uh, and he's just been consistently really solid a few bad shooting games, but for the most part, he's been awesome. Just hasn't been just like, hasn't had these like Jimmy games or like Tatum had a few monster games, like Luca and Giannis with these truly monster games, but he's been really good. I wouldn't yeah, be surprised need, if he has a 40 point game in this series. They're going to need staff. It's the analysis you come to cash considerations for, <laughs> yeah. but I really feel like he's got to be like far and away the best player in the series for the Warriors to win. And I expect him to be that right. Like this is a major legacy moment for Steph. Obviously all the ESPN talking heads are discussing it. We don't need to get into it too much, but it really is just incredible. They're back here after two seasons, missing the playoffs after Durant leaves after not finding a young star in the lottery, like they planned to, after not making a trade for a veteran to augment their old championship core, after Clay misses two full seasons with the two worst injuries, you can basically suffer on a basketball court, a torn Achilles and a torn ACL. It is just crazy. They're back here, man. I got nothing but respect for them. And while I do think the Warriors match up very well against, or why I do think the Celtics match up very well against them, I guess here's why I'm picking the Warriors. I trust uh, Golden State's defense to hold up against Boston's offense more than I trust Boston's defense to hold up against Golden State's offense. Like, I think that Golden State will just keep coming at you and they're just going to find cracks in Boston's defense eventually. But this Golden State defense finished like basically tied with Boston for regular season efficiency. Obviously, Boston was on a tear once the calendar flipped yeah. to 2022. And, you know, this, the Celtics have sort of a storybook thing going on, too, because hard to believe, Jace, on February 1st, the Celtics were in ninth place in the Eastern Conference. You know who was in first? The Bulls. The Chicago Bulls. <laughs> Your Chicago Bulls. <laughs> so uh, it's a storybook ending, sort of, either way it happens. But... I'm riding with the Warriors. I think it's, you know, it sounds silly, but I think it's just destiny. So we'll see what happens, but uh, it's going to be an awesome finals, man. I'm super excited for it. Yeah, absolutely. Same. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. 
Twice a week, J.J. Reddick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free-throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we wrap up here, uh, back to the Bulls, some leftovers. So I meant to bring this, actually, before I, I wrote something for Forbes on Nikola Vucevic. Uh, we haven't talked about him too much. Lately, but before we finish on that note, I, something we forgot to brought up that bring up was there was a recent rumor talking about just defensive players. Recent rumor out there, I think this is what from Sean Devaney, uh, heavy about Matisse Thibel and like the uh, Mark Eversley being interested. Uh, and that, this was like a week or two ago. I don't know how much stock I put into it. I immediately dismissed it because Matisse Thibel is like a terrible offensive player. I meant to just bring I meant to bring this up last week when we were talking about rumor stuff and I totally forgot, but I wanted to address it really quick here before this food stuff. What do you think of Matisse Thibel if the Bulls should go after him? I and mean, if we like if we bring in like this, it almost feels like a situation similar to Kobe, where like third year guys who have kind of lost their lost their shine as high was I can't remember where Thibel was picked. Was he lottery or close no, lottery? In the 20s. Okay, so like whatever. Third year guys lost some shine, one way player, sucks offensively. Great de- he was another all defensive team. Uh, a selection this year, but he basically couldn't play in the playoffs because he, his offense is so bad. Just very quickly, what do you make of that of that rumor? Nah, I don't want him. Perfect. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have enough shooting. Like, can he play in the playoffs? I don't think right. so. Right, he was awful. He was bad. And like that's what I said. I just like the Bulls and something we talked about with the Bulls. And I guess this is kind of brings us all full, full circle in terms of two way players, in terms of the shooting the Bulls need. Uh, compared to these other teams, you look at it and it's just like the Bulls roster as it is right now, obviously we need all the need to make some changes, but like we just went through this with like having Derrick Jones Jr., Javante Green, uh, even Io to an extent because he's kind of hesitant to shoot. And just like all these other guys who can't, who you can't really trust to shoot the ball. Uh, and you're just going to bring in another one of those guys. Uh, and like, I mean, Caruso, you don't really trust to shoot threes that much either. Uh, they just have too many, had too many guys that just obviously you can leave wide open. Troy Brown Jr. was another one too. Uh, and like, I just don't want to bring another guy. Like that. I, I guess if you could get him for cheap, like, and he was like your 11th man, I guess fine. But like uh, it, the Bulls, we, we just saw this happen with the Bulls having like no shooters and having these guys who can, these energy guys who can but shot nothing but bricks. So yeah, I agree. I just wanted to, I totally forgot to bring that up last week when we were talking about rumors and I wanted to get your take on that. Let's finish with this Vucevic thing. I wrote about Vooch uh, at for, for Forbes yesterday. Um, just kind of looking back on the trade. And as we look ahead to this offseason uh, in terms of what the Bulls should do, I mean, I guess even looking at these playoffs and the kind of guys that do well in the playoffs, Vooch, looking at Vooch's numbers in, against the Bucks this year, they actually 
were a little better than I remembered them. He obviously could not shoot threes. They dared him to shoot threes, couldn't make them. But just in general, a bit, just a big picture look of back at the Bulls' decision to trade for Vooch, what they gave up, which was two firsts, Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr. They brought back Alfred Camino, who went to the Spurs in the DeMar DeRozan sign and trade. Um, and just obviously with Vooch was clearly, clearly declined a bit this season. He had like a five, I think a 53% like true shooting. A lot of that was because he was really bad at the start of the year. Uh, he got off to a brutal start, even while the bulls were playing well. Uh, and then he did like pick up over the course of the year in terms of his efficiency, in terms of at least his finishing inside the arc, he could not hit threes basically all year. He dipped to 31%. I think it's looking more and more like last year was a bit of an outlier when he was at 40%. So now like Vooch is still, a good player. He's 31. He'll be 32 next season. He'll be an expiring contract. Still a good player. Still can do a lot of useful things with his rebounding, with his, with his, he's still a decent score. Not great. Uh, his passing is underrated. I think we saw the bulls use him in the middle of the court as a passer a lot, but where do they go? The bulls go from here with Vooch. When you have your top three of Vooch tomorrow, and hopefully Zach back is that a core you want to go forward with. And was ultimately was Vooch was the Vooch trade the right move? Was he the guy they should have cashed in so much on? Should they have traded so much? I know you have been you from the start. This isn't necessarily hindsight saying that the Bulls made a mistake trading as much as they did for Vooch. Because I know you you were you questioned it from the very start how much they gave up for him. But I think now more and more people are like I've been a bit down, more down on Vooch. I think he's still better than a lot of people of his critics would say. But now when you're looking at it with the Bulls failing to miss the plan last year and that pick. Ghost number eight becomes Franz Wagner to the Magic. They still owe another first. Wendell had a pretty good season with the Magic. I know it was a bad Magic team, but like if the Magic end up with Wendell and he ends up being good, Franz Wagner looks really good, and they get another really good pick next year, and the Bulls end up with Vooch, you get a sixth seed in the first round out, and then we'll see what happens from here. It doesn't look too great. Ricky, where are you with the Vooch trade? And what we're just, I guess, your thoughts on it now? and what they should do with him this offseason. Jason, you're bringing up the Vooch discussion like 45 minutes into the podcast. We could do like two hours. I know. stuff. So I'm going to try to keep it simple. I think we get to, We'll talk about him more, obviously, as there's more rumors coming up. Uh, I just wanted to bring it up since I wrote this thing yesterday. And everyone, please go check out Jason's yeah. story, Forbes, which is an excellent story. I think like if you're going to talk about the trade... Well, it was a great trade for Orlando. That's for sure. They got the number eight overall pick. They took Franz Wagner, who looks like a stud, first team all rookie. He looks better than Jalen Suggs, who they drafted at number five. I think, and and they got a 2023 pick out of it. And they traded their best player who couldn't lead them past the eight seed in the East and now have the number one overall pick in this draft. The rumor is they're going to draft Jabari Smith over Paolo Bancaro and Chad Holmgren. So, of course, the Magic are going to screw it up once again. But clearly, like, this was just a grand slam trade for the Orlando Magic. From the Bulls' perspective, I like the vision of what they did with Vooch. I think that the Bulls in their head probably knew that they wanted DeMar DeRozan, given the fact that he was available, and given the fact that Mark Eversley had a pre-existing relationship with him dating back to their days in Toronto. So if you were going to truly unlock DeRozan, your center had to be a guy who is going to effectively space the floor because that's not DeRozan's game. And that probably had to be a guy who could add some additional playmaking value because 
Uh, the Bulls were going to be a little bit of an ISO heavy team with DeRozan and Levine as their two best players. So there's just not a lot of guys who check both of those boxes. And offensively, Vooch could stretch the floor. He could act as a playmaking hub. Defensively, you can make an argument that like, okay, if you're building a team around Levine and DeRozan, you need a center who can like clean up mistakes and be a little bit more stout at the rim than Vooch is. But for all the discussion about Vooch's defense, he's he's pretty good playing his assignment and keeping yep. things in front of him. He's not someone who's going to like cover up other people's mistakes because he can't really run or jump. And that is why they signed Lonzo and Caruso to help make up for that. Vooch can he can do his part, play his role. Uh, I think they overpaid for him for sure. I think that there's no debate over that really. But in terms of was getting him a good move if you can sort of separate yourself from the fact that they overpaid i think yeah like getting him was a good move like vooch is a good player he fits the team structure in a way that not many other centers in the nba could do i think it's pretty unfortunate that his three ball totally abandoned him this year because i was looking up his numbers on basketballreference.com and there it shows you like the shot location data so it'll say like vooch shooting percentage from zero to three feet you know, that's at the rim. He was shooting better at the rim than like he ever has in his career. He started so bad. And then he like, he really picked it up from two point range. Like all those two, most of those two point ranges as the year went on. Yeah. And the two glaring red spots in his shot profile were long two pointers and three pointers. They needed him to take threes because you had to space the floor. The bulls were like dead last in the league in three point rate anyway. So someone had to take some threes. Yeah. It didn't always fall for Vooch. I think he hit what 31% or 32% this year. Yeah. But I think Will Gottlieb tweeted if he made 12 more out of 330 attempts, he'd be at 35%. I would argue that's not an insignificant number of threes to make 12 more. Like that can swing several games, uh, depending on how they're spread out. But uh you hope the three-point shot comes back next year. I'm not super optimistic about it, but hopefully it does. I would have to think that Vooch is in the lab working on his three ball this year. And Vooch, not a perfect player. He's a pretty good player. Compared to the rest of the centers in the league, he's like one of the better centers. I'm not totally convinced that like DeAndre Ayton is definitely better than Vooch. Obviously, he's younger. He's so much more physically gifted. So you can make an easy argument for Aiden. But just in terms of like this year or right. next year, like who you getting more out of, uh, I think Vooch is a pretty good player who had a huge burden on his shoulders. It's like the only playable big on the yeah. team. Uh, even Patrick Williams is more of a wing. He gets hurt five games into the season. He was probably going to be the Bulls' backup center. Tony Bradley couldn't give you anything. He signed Tristan Thompson. He was terrible. So Vooch just had a tremendous responsibility and a tremendous burden on his shoulders. I think for the most part, he performed adequately well. The three ball abandoning him was really frustrating. Uh, and defensively, he is what he is at this point in his career. So, you know, you hope the Bulls beef up the front court. For Vooch, you hope that the three-point shot falls a little bit more often next year. But I think in general, they overpaid for him. It's probably not going to look like a good move in hindsight, but the process that led them to acquire Vooch, if you can separate yourself from the overpay, I think was pretty good process. Right. I think where the Bulls were at, they clearly, because AK, their first offseason, they did nothing. They wanted to, see, whatever, evaluate what they had. And they went in the trade deadline on a really down note. I wrote, I mentioned this in the Forbes story. They lost like a ter- awful home game to Cleveland. So they were probably like, you know, 
I think they were like four or five games under. It's like, you know, we really needed to make a splash here. We need to get a, uh, some more legitimate talent in to play next to Zach. Because I mean, with Zach's free agency coming up, like, and he said, if they were looking ahead to like signing guys, like, I mean, they were trying to get Lonzo that deadline too. If they were looking ahead to getting Lonzo, getting a guy like tomorrow, they're like, all right, we need to bring in another big name to establish some more credibility here with our team to give Zach another running mate as he approaches free agency. So it, I would guess like the, return what they gave up was probably based on a little bit of desperation knowing that they really wanted to get in another like all-star level player and like i don't know who else would they would have gotten at that point like at that deadline uh like who else seemed who else i mean booch was the best player traded during that deadline right i don't like aaron gordon was traded at that deadline right but like that's and that's not really a guy that would have fit i guess what they were looking for at that point uh like I can't even remember who else was traded at the deadline, but I think Vooch was like the biggest trade or at least one of the very biggest. So like the bulls felt like they needed to do something. They, were they a bit impatient, maybe a bit desperate, probably giving up what they did. Uh, they did get at least some protections on those picks, but maybe even a little better. You could argue like, did they have to give up two first rounders for a center? I mean, Vooch was averaging like 25 and 11 at the times. Like he was having a great season. So like um, that obviously, played into the fact that magic forced the bulls to give up more. So yeah, in it's hindsight, the, go ahead. You know, Gar packs just mismanaged the bulls for so long that they just didn't have much, many assets or many other avenues yeah. towards acquiring an all-star level player. Right. Yeah. The roster was in really, really bad shape and this getting- wasn't going anywhere. Clearly like the, the, the rebuild wasn't like the young guys like Lowry, Lowry wasn't really going anywhere. Wendell was not going anywhere. Like Kobe hadn't done much yet. So it's like all the, and Pat was like, whatever, fine. He was a rookie. They just, the rebuild just did not have, clearly just didn't have any out of the young guys. Just they, none of them had any juice. And they just clearly saw like at best they were going to be mediocre. Uh, and they tried to make a big move. I said, yeah, I, I, I believe I praised it at the time for being bold. I certainly like in hindsight, will I say that it's a little looking a little worse? Yes. Uh, but I'm not going to like sit here and say that I thought it was bad at the time. Uh, it's nice to see a front office make a bold move like that after so much just like lame shit with guard packs. Uh, hopefully, like I said, this still, this still, this question can still, like, yeah, in the a vacuum, they probably gave up too much. If the Bulls can turn what the, this jump this season that they made into another jump in the next few years or next season and beyond, like if they use Vooch to get maybe even a better player somehow, or if they, whatever building this credibility back up does lead them to becoming a contender in the next year, next couple of years. Like then you'd be like, whatever you give up those picks and it's fine. Like the magic can be happy with their young guys, but if the bulls can somehow get better, keep getting better. Well, then it's totally fine. Whatever you you, you toss them away. It's fine. Of course, the problem is what if the bulls do like take a step back and this just kind of goes in the shitter tomorrow is 32, which is 32. And you hope Zach is back. Like if Zach, obviously if Zach leaves, and you end up rebuilding anyways, then it looks really bad that you're out these picks. So you hope that isn't turned into that kind of scenario. You'd obviously think you'd trade guys to hopefully get something else back, but this bulls can still, this can, this narrative, I wrote this in there again, this narrative can still flip again. If the bulls can take enough, continue taking leaps, but how they do that is obviously we'll see. And we, we talk about even, you mentioned like a guy like Aiden, like I think an Aiden thing, like, yeah, is he, would he actually be better than Vooch for this bull scene next year? He'd obviously be better defensively. Offensively, he's not the offensive, doesn't have the skill set as Vooch. Uh, but he is much younger. So, like, is it would well, that would be like a move that would be kind of for now and the future? 
Um, I don't know if he'd be the right answer at whatever. I mean, if you million could, a year, if though. get Aiton in a Vooch trade, even though I, I just said that I think that, you know. Yeah, Aiton, I mean, you do it. He's 23, 22, yeah, 23 you, years old. You do to, get another young yeah, talent. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, I know, like, I do. I mean, I guess I do understand the hesitation, though, about paying a center 30 million. When we see sometimes these centers uh, can get played off the court in the playoffs very easily. I mean, Aiton is a really good player, and he had struggles when teams go five out. Uh, and I mean, obviously that's a problem with Vooch too. Just the slow footed centers. We see it with Rudy Gobert, multiple time defensive player of the year. And it's not necessarily all on Rudy Gobert. It's just like, obviously when you have poor defensive players around you, like he does, but right. when teams go five out, it is harder for those lumbering centers to make an impact. So like, do you really want to pay those guys that much? If they're not like unicorns offensively, if you're not, I mean, obviously a healthy Anthony Davis. Yes a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, who is also slow, but like he is so good offensively where yes, obviously you pay him all that money and Joel Embiid obviously as well. Great two-way dominant force and Jokic unicorn type guys though. Like, do you not, do you pay big? I mean, this is like, this kind of goes with Bam as well. Like Bam just got a huge max extension. Bam did not look like a max player in a lot of these playoffs. And I've seen some of his, not all his values, not uh, wrapped up in offense because he is a ver- versatile defensive player who can, uh, defensive player of the year, Ted. But again, do you want to pay centers that much money when they're not a true like two-way unicorn or just a dominant offensive player? I don't know. That is a question with Aiden. Vooch is on a very reasonable contract this season of $22 million. So there was a point where I was like, Vooch has got to go. Like He can't be back on this team next year. I've come off of that. If Vooch is back and like this main core is back, that's fine. I can live with that. The Bulls were very good, healthy. They were a really fucking good team this past season. They clearly need to add more shooting and they need to beef up this front court. Need Patrick Williams to take a leap as well. They, they definitely need somebody to help out Vooch, whether that is Patrick Williams being a small ball center. They could use an actual backup big man who is playable uh, and is more a bit more versatile than Tony Bradley. So, Jace, I'm going to make this point on the next podcast if I remember to, because we're right. saying it an hour into this episode. Yeah, we're going to wrap uh, up here. These playoffs. <laughs> have sort of showed me that the Bulls are not that far away. Watching the Warriors, this version of the Warriors, and the Celtics, I think conceivably the Bulls could have competed against both of them in a seven-game series where the Bulls were at their absolute peak. This is not the same as the Warriors team from 2017 when you just knew they were going to win the championship no matter what. It's not the same as peak LeBron running the East with Cleveland, where if LeBron was on the floor, his team was going to the finals no matter what in eight straight years. I think the game is definitely more open right now. You could absolutely have seen an alternate scenario play out where like Giannis is going for his third title in four years right now. You know what I mean? So there's an opportunity here. The Bulls chose to compete. They didn't choose to tear it down, rebuild through the draft. I'm thankful for that. And it isn't inconceivable to me that the Bulls could build a championship level team because I look at the rest of the league and I think, you know, these next couple titles will probably be there for the taking until the next like unbeatable super team arises. And we'll see if, you know, league trends uh, go that way again. I'm not looking around the league being like, oh my God, we'll never have any chance against the Celtics. The Celtics are good for sure, but you know, they're not totally unbeatable. Uh, Golden State, another year older next season. You know, that's just going to be the case every year after this moving forward. So I think the Bulls do have an opportunity here over the next couple seasons to try to find a way to compete. 
And if I'm the Bulls, the way to a championship is to convince a superstar that Chicago is where they want to be. Jace, I don't know if you saw any of the news and rumors from my old pal and former colleague, Christian Winfield, now covering the Brooklyn Nets. But Christian reported you that the Nets are not going to offer Kyrie Irving a long-term max contract. We'll see if that plays out. We'll see you know, how what happens with Kyrie's free agency. But if I had to make a guess right now, Jace, I would say that Kevin Durant will not retire with the Nets. If I can think of one player who would really fit the Bulls right now, you need some size, you need a four who can shoot. It's Kevin Durant. So if I'm the Bulls, you know that Kevin Durant has great respect for Zach Levine from their Team USA days together. Durant has consistently praised the Bulls when asked about them on podcasts and is off, you know, in his uh, media sessions after the game. So I'm trying to get Durant. I'm trying to get Jokic. Those are the guys who can really move the needle. And why not Chicago? After so many years of the front office treating this market and this franchise, like they're the Orlando Magic or the Indiana Pacers or the Minnesota Timberwolves, why can't a superstar choose the Bulls, a great American city? I'm going to say the best American city. Maybe I'm biased. Maybe I'm biased because I'm leaving. People who (laughs) know me know I'm moving to Iowa on August 1st. But why not? Why not Chicago, the best American city? (laughs) Why not a proud franchise with six championship banners hanging in the rafters? Why not the team that gave you Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen? Katie's Katie's uh, got pictures of him in Tony Kukoc jerseys. (laughs) Make it happen. I want KD. I want Jokic. Get one of them, and the Bulls can be right here in this mix. And you know what? Maybe they can do it without one of those guys. But it's going to take some serious fine-tuning towards the back end of the roster. It's going to take the Bulls finding their Al Horford. It's going to take the Bulls finding their Grant Williams. Patrick, the maybe Horford. that's Patrick Williams. Got to put hope, hope a lot. Got a lot of hope for Patrick Williams here. But. So now we're downgrading Patrick Williams from hopefully he can be the next Kawhi to hopefully he can be the next Grant Williams. I mean, tough. But you know what? If he could be as hey, Grant, Grant Williams, Williams. maybe a step. That'd Grant, be a step. Will- Grant Williams is a very effective player. Obviously, you would like Pat, to, be, to be a little better offensively high and a little player. higher offensive upside. Grant Williams is. I mean, you talk about like Giannis stoppers, like Grant Williams can do a hell of a job on Giannis. Like if he was, if Pat can turn into like a supercharged Pat Grant Williams, that's a great outcome for me, for sure. He hits 40% of his threes and plays great defense, uh, plays his role really well. Pat can be some, I mean, even just looking at next season, if Pat can be like Grant as effective as Grant Williams next season, that'd be huge. That'd be a huge step for him. Maybe with maybe a little more offense there. So yeah, we will see. Uh, in terms of Jokic, obviously, uh, he's got a super max on the table. That's like 260 million that I'm assuming he's going to sign. Apparently he's fine with the upheaval in the Nuggets front office, which obviously when you see that happen, it's like, oh, is Jokic going to, does he not like this with Tim Connolly going to Minnesota? Is he going to leave? I mean, obviously he's got that super max on the table. This is a situation and they, you got, uh, Murray and Porter coming back. He's going to sign the super max. And then maybe, maybe it gives it a few years. Like, if he obviously if he asked out, like it's gonna take it would take a whole lot to trade for him. It would be nice if he actually hit free agency, but uh so he's probably a bit more unlikely right now. But yeah, the Durant, the Nets thing, and Kevin Durant <laughs> spending his time getting swept into the playoffs, arguing with fans on Twitter, uh, arguing with Draymond Green, uh KD leaving the Warriors. I mean, we we see clearly in his Twitter account why he left the Warriors because he's was very clearly it hurts him how much people love stuff more than him and or warriors fans love 
Steph more than KD. And I think that obviously played a role in him leaving because he wanted to, he was never going to be like the, the face of the franchise there with Steph there. The problem is now he's with Kyrie and Ben Simmons and it's not looking too great for him. Uh, so it's, it's kind of funny how Kyrie Irving, Boston Celtics, Kevin Durant, Golden State Warriors, they leave, and now those two teams are playing in the NBA Finals. I got a piece on that coming out on Thursday at SBNation.com. You can check that out. Nice. Good good tease. That should do it for us here. We've been rambling on for a while here, but we had a lot of topics to talk about uh, with the NBA Finals coming up again. The NBA Finals start Thursday night at the Chase Center in San Francisco. Celtics at Warriors. Hopefully we get a great series. Hopefully we don't get a bunch of blowouts like so many other games. As we just talked about a lot of times, we we see the series going either way. So hopefully it is really good. Uh, and what is now June, which means it is now, it is now it's NBA finals month. It's NBA draft month. It's NBA free agency. Stuff's going to pick up a lot uh, around the NBA and with us here at cash. And hopefully we get some fun rumors coming up and obviously we'll have more draft stuff coming up in the coming weeks as well. So uh, look out for that uh, in these coming weeks. So uh, as always shout out to the blue wire network, please go check out the great pods. Go check out the the Light Years guys. Uh, those guys are with their all their great Warriors coverage. Um, I, I, I'm a bad Blue Wire guy. I don't even know if we have a Celtics pod. I should probably <laughs> figure that out. But uh, obviously, besides uh, our bad NBA coverage, please go check out all the other great pods all across the network. For us here at Cash, please rate and review us. Give us those five star ratings. Um, we're on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, all those good places. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Bulls underscore J. Ricky is at SBN underscore Ricky. Please also uh, check out uh, Fuzz Gun and his SoundCloud. He made our sweet new intro for this season. So for Jason and Ricky, this has been Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. Enjoy the NBA Finals. We will talk to you guys next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.